0: Welcome to Exit 222, the podcast that puts you in the hearts, in the mind, and on the front line of stories that matter. I'm your host, Ari McLean. bravery, compassion, courage, heroism. If you ran these words or description of someone by most Americans, their first response might be something like, well you're describing a policeman or a fireman or a first responder or or maybe a soldier in the military. And there's no doubt that individuals from those professions do often embody those characteristics. But there's another set of occupations or careers that is almost never mentioned or never thought of when most Americans hear those words. When you think about heroes, individuals that children idolize when they're growing up, children don't stand in front of a mirror and put on a suit or a dress and say, I wanna be a social worker. That doesn't happen. But yet social workers are out there every day serving our communities, they're out there every day on the front lines dealing with some of the toughest circumstances in our society while trying to salvage what they can from those same situations or bring out the best from others in the community. These social workers are constantly facing and confronting traumatizing situations. Putting themselves at risk. And the reality is that these individuals, these everyday heroes, are asked to look into that mirror every day and look for the imperfections in our communities, our cities, our families, the parts in the shadows. And step into that darkness in the hopes of shedding a little bit of light, a little bit of hope. And it's within this space. Where social workers perform their everyday miracles. Where they help put families back together. Where they help people who have fallen down get back up. And it's where you'll find the moral compass, the true moral compass of our culture, of our society. What direction we're walking on that path. I sometimes wonder why, over the course of the last 20 to 30 years, in the era of cable television and now streaming, we have every... Iteration of police shows and firemen shows, doctors, lawyers. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a leading character in a popular show that features a social worker. That follows their struggles, their triumphs, their failures. In the absence of a marquee or premier character based around a social worker, becomes even more perplexing when you consider that there are nearly 700,000 social workers across the US. And a part of me wants to believe, or at least has to believe, that part of the reason that we don't see this in the media, that stories aren't written about them very often, is because of that dark world that they spend most of their time operating in. And that we're not gonna like what we find when we collectively stare into that mirror looking for our imperfections, looking for areas that we need to improve on. It's not what you would call a feel-good story. It almost has a Dorian Gray feel to it. Now when you use the term social worker, for different people it can mean different things and can have different connotations. But for our purposes, we're going to focus on the public servants that work at the state level to provide essential benefits such as financial assistance, everyday necessities, and other forms of aid to the most impoverished communities, individuals, families across America, those in dire need of a helping hand. In an official description... The Bureau of Labor Statistics describes social workers as individuals who, quote, help people solve and cope with problems in their everyday lives, end quote. Now, I think this definition that we just provided is a perfect example of the generic glossing over of what a social worker is and the true impact that they have on people's lives every day. Simply saying that they're helping people with everyday problems doesn't even come close to conveying how these individuals rescue people from poverty, how they help them avoid abuse, how they protect children and senior citizens. In other layman's terms, some people would describe this career as a welfare worker. And I know that this topic, this issue... discussion of assistance, welfare, whatever you want to call it, is very polarizing. And immediately large segments of the population are going to jump to one side of that fence or another. There are very few who are truly in the middle. But as we get into this season, beginning with this episode, I wanted to profile someone, an individual, who spent 30 years as a social worker. Both in an urban setting, and then the other part of their career in a more rural environment. Because I think as much discourse, as much conversation as there is about welfare and benefits and everything tied to that conversation, there's very little discussion about the people that inhabit that world, that group of public servants who are delivering these basic services, who are looking out for the benefits of children, who are serving the elderly or disabled who cannot protect themselves. It's a group of unsung heroes who largely operate outside of the spotlight. I think this is a very compelling and powerful story because when you hear about their experiences, when you hear about living a day in the life of a social worker, I think it gives you a whole different perspective on what that world actually looks like, the people in that environment, what you deal with on a day-to-day basis, and how you handle yourself in those situations. And I would submit to you that by the time this season is over, and at least my hope, is that you will have a profound appreciation and, at a minimum, a mutual respect for the incredible work that these individuals do every day. Now where our story begins is with a social worker we'll call Lucy. Of course, that's not her real name. And Lucy begins her career right around 1980. And the important thing to keep in mind before we get into her story is that the world of welfare, the world of social benefits really started with FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and the New Deal when he came into office. Helping support those that been so devastated by the Great Depression. Getting people back to work. Providing food. And the next real milestone in the evolution of assistance programs here in the U.S., was President Lyndon B. Johnson's declaration of a war on poverty, which expanded assistance programs across the U.S. And so you have this bureaucratic creep of benefits that, which started out among the catastrophe that was the Great Depression, and had slowly expanded over the decades. And as those assistance programs blossomed, ballooned, So too did the amount of capital, financial capital, that was being drained from state treasuries. Which began to spark conversations across the country about ways to trim or cut back on such spending. And accusations of massive welfare fraud. Of individuals who were exploiting the system in order to avoid working. And it's about this time that President Reagan comes into office who has a very conservative view on such assistance programs. And this is the environment that Lucy steps into when she reports for her first day of work as a social worker, a new college graduate, eager to make an impact and to make her mark on the world by helping others.
1: Well, I started in December, so it was like Christmas at that time. They were trying to get foster children Christmas gifts and giving turkeys away and hams and getting churches to help. So I think at what they call a deadline, uh, the workers were very busy getting their changes made on, on the computer that had to be done and everyone kind of ignored me. Back in the old days, as I like to call them, they did not have a new worker uh, academy they sent you to. You're just kind of thrown into a group and put to work. You're sent out to make home visits with people and kind of learn the ropes. It was hard to be a new worker because they you had no you know you just kind of winged it and you were on probation for six months and after six months they could they could either let you go or let you stay.
0: I asked Lucy, what were some of the things that stood out to her as a new employee as she stepped into that world?
1: Realizing how big the caseloads, how many people they came to the office every day. I guess I never knew how many people depended on public assistance for help and food stamps, and it opened my eyes. Making the first home visit and going into the home and seeing how the parents interact with the children and how people live in poverty, very, very meager living. And our worker took me to a place where every time it rained, it was it was just very muddy. I remember it was just sad because the people had I think they had a dirt floor remember going there and realizing how how people live with so little
0: as we talked I asked Lucy about how do you compartment or deal with the stress of this job how do you leave it at work when you're dealing with very personal issues when you know that children are being affected when you know that people are living in need
1: how do you leave that
0: at the office
1: it was it was hard to it was hard to forget about not take your job home with you, but you had to learn uh, probably like, like I compare it to an ER doctor, an ER doctors and um, nurses see a lot of bad things in the if you work in the ER. So when they leave, they have to as best they can turn it off, you know, and and go home to their family and you know go to the other side of their life.
0: Part of Lucy's responsibilities as a social worker. We're going to these home visits, as they are called, checking on clients, confirming their status and eligibility for benefits. But what this means in reality is visiting some of the lowest income, most impoverished, most crime-ridden portions of any major city, or even in rural communities. So I asked Lucy, as a female in the 1980s, driving to some of these locations, How she dealt with that environment in what would be regarded in many ways as some of the harder parts of the city.
1: Well, you were just told not to ever carry your purse. You would lock it in the trunk, never carry your purse inside a house. I just remember some of the housing projects were pretty could be dangerous. Either I was very naive and but you did you did learn to be cautious and just watch your surroundings and if you felt we were told if we Felt like we should not go into a home. It was uncomfortable about it not to go in. So, kind of, you learn to use your, as they say, sixth sense.
0: As Lucy settled into her role, began taking on more clients, visited more homes, two things stood out to her. It became very apparent to her the magnitude of the challenge of helping individuals. Not only because of the massive numbers of cases that she was working being responsible for hundreds of families but also because of the
1: legislation
0: that existed at that time that there was no real incentive for clients to move on to seek out work the aid was really indefinite at that time and the second item that stood out to her was the amount of good that could come out of this job the help that she could provide the guidance the encouragement, the protection that she could offer for those in danger.
1: What I noticed was just how the cycle repeats itself. If the mother and the grandmother were on welfare, then if they had a, a, child, a daughter grow up, she just assumed that she would be on welfare and so trying to change that way of thinking and to motiva- motivating them to go to, to a college or learn a trade, um, go to school and, and learn something, even, even graduate from high school.
0: Lucy also caught on to how important it was to listen to your clients, to hear them out, to see their side of the story.
1: Trying to understand where they were coming from and that it was just a cycle that they were taught, they were raised, the way they were raised, they really didn't know any other way of life, so to speak. Trying to help them overcome their obstacles they had in life, I think that was probably one of the hardest hardest things to do to make their self-image better. If they had been put down or felt like they were not worthy of going to school, or this is was going to be their life forever, I felt like it was my goal to try to educate them and show them there was another another world. A lot of my clients did not even know how to fill out an application for a job, and and they were could not read and write very well and so we had literacy classes that we could send them to so they could learn to read and write even though they say had dropped out of school.
0: There were also some cases that required immediate action. These weren't long-term plans for improvement but children in danger, wives being abused. And Lucy had to make quick decisions that would impact the quality those individuals lives and hopefully put them on a different path
1: and I would go to a house where the children weren't clean there was no food in the cupboard uh, sometimes we brought children back to the office they had to we gave them a bath in the sink in the bathroom and then if you were going to take a child away from their parent it was uh where they were they're on drugs or they were leaving the children at home alone you had to get the police the police had to meet you there I remember taking children to a homeless shelter, uh, My mother and four of her children, and my, we we didn't have company cars, we just had our own vehicles. Taking her to get to a food pantry place, a shelter, and taking her where she could feed her children. And it was not unusual to pick up a, take my mother and children somewhere to eat food when they ran out of food stamps or trying to get them away from a bad situation. Or they got evicted from their landlord. But you look back now and think, wow, I put that mother and four kids in my car and I don't think I had enough seat belts for them. We didn't have uh, car seats for children back in those days, early 80s. Make sure they had their shots. Sometimes we had to take them to the health department to get their immunizations so they could go to school. The schools would call us if they they showed up in flip-flops and shorts and it was 35 degrees outside. Or if they had lice, they expected us to do something about it. About it.
0: On the other end of the spectrum, when it came to better news, Lucy provided some examples of what she would call her personal successes in seeing what had once been a client move on to being a productive member of the workforce, move out of poverty, and chase their dreams in the 1980s.
1: She went to beauty school and she had a talent, for, she loved to do hair and nails and I think she eventually came back and told me that she and a friend had opened a shop of their own and that made me feel good and she um, eventually, you know, was not dependent on welfare and, and I think just encouraging her to go to beauty college and if she was good at doing that type of work, pursuing it and her self-confidence and her self-esteem had improved greatly just by being out in the world and going to, it was a challenge to go to work every day and then she said, I wanna set up my own shop and make a living that way. I had a client that wanted to be a school teacher, decided that she wanted to get involved at her child's school. So I think she uh, eventually was able to achieve that by starting out with junior college.
0: When Lucy first reported to work around 1980, she already had one young child at home And shortly thereafter, had a second. And given the weight of the issues that she's working and the personal cost of spending their time at work and dealing with all these difficult issues, I wanted to ask her how she balanced that work and personal side. Having two young kids, a family at home, how did she make it work?
1: You individually worked case, you had your case load, and you had to, you had to work your own cases, and we stayed late back and back before they had rules about you couldn't work overtime. You know the paperwork was never ending. So I think that's the thing I remember that you you just thought if I didn't have so much paperwork, I could spend more time with the client, more time finding resources. You just did. you did your job, and then you I mean, I was married at the time, but you had you had to pick up children from daycare and I guess you just juggled it the best you could I think it was just when you're younger I think you can you just have to juggle like most working mothers do being a social work part of the drawback would be because you tend to take your work home or you worry about a child in a home in a situation that's not good or you've worked with a child welfare worker and the judges decide the child can go back and live with the home and and be reunified with the family after being in foster care and Things like that you kind of took home with you because you were worried that the child wouldn't, the parents would go back to their old ways of whatever, being on drugs or abusing the children, and then they would be taken out again, and and, uh, you would be contacted. They were, again, in foster care. So I think you just, it was hard to leave the job and not take it home with you, especially if you did have children. You were just grateful that, you know, that able to take care of them and probably just trying to put it, not think about it and just be busy with your children you know you just had to pretty much try to we called it our just mental health day uh, sometimes just take a day of annual leave and just call in you know you just tell your boss you need a day off maybe it's just to regroup and get your stress level maybe a little bit lower but I had a good friend that worked in child welfare and at that time it was across the hall and there were some horror stories that we, you know, we all kind of shared together. Just the, the situations that young children were put in that they should not have been. And I asked her often how she, you know, tried to leave it at the office, and she said, "Well, it's hard, you know, not to, but you have to learn to do that."
0: And against this backdrop of hard issues, difficult cases, hundreds of families and individuals to worry about. Lucy also faced the technical challenges of entering all this data by hand, pushing paper, as she likes to call it, in the office setting of the 1980s, where the digital revolution had yet to begin.
1: At one time, we all, many of us shared one computer. I, don't, I just remember we had to stand in line to use a computer to make changes. It was very frustrating. For the whole, for maybe 40 people, yeah. At one time, it was, and then eventually, we got a computer, I, we had to share it, we had a desk, called a, call a deskmate and you each had your desk, but you shared a phone and you shared a computer, and you, which was a lot better, but I just remember you know, standing in line, 30 or 40 people had to stand in line to make a change on the computer, and we had to use a, a dictaphone to dictate our home narratives, what they called narratives, home visits, and there was in the building, there was a um, clerical group. We recorded it, and they had to I guess stenographer, they had to type it what we recorded, and that and then they typed it, and that went into the case file. So everything was done by hand back in the old days. We had to figure their food stamps by hand calculation and put it on the computer.
0: Looking back at the first third of her career, I asked Lucy, what would she tell herself, her younger self, as a new employee? What does she know now that she wished? She had known back then
1: just take one day at a time and um, try to do your work listen to your clients show compassion let them know that you do care i found that a lot of people as i've mentioned before just wanted someone to listen to their problems they would come in and start out in a belligerent manner i think it was if i had to look back it was just a challenge to learn how to deal with that their body language and how to get them to maybe calm down and, and Listen to their story.
0: Looking ahead, Lucy becomes a seasoned professional with a decade of service under her belt and having helped already thousands of individuals in need. But the next decade, the 1990s, will present some of her biggest challenges in her career and changes that happen on the national level that will have ripple effects throughout the country. Join us next time.